So, hello and welcome to the Court Games L5R LCG podcast with me, your host, Finbar, otherwise known as Steelfar. And I'm Trevor Cuba, also known as Kikita Onimaru. Yeah, so it's sort of an exciting week, I guess. I mean, how's your week been, Trevor? Have you been all right? Oh, I have been very, very busy. On one, I'm getting ready for Gen Con, which most people in the U.S. and abroad are getting ready for right now. But also, I have a something of announcement. I've been teasing it for a little bit, and people who have been on Facebook might have seen some early rumblings of this about a month ago. I'm starting a convention, Finbar. Uh, a wow. Legend of the Five Rings convention. That's pretty exciting news. Why don't you tell me a bit more about that? He says uh, in a non-marketing way. Um, <laughs> no, no, please, please tell me more. Um, <laughs> I am calling it RokuCon. We are starting a Kickstarter. It is set to go live on September 1st. And I'm trying to get about $10,000 as my initial seed money to start this event. Uh, it is going to be an unofficial fan event for L5R fans, by L5R fans. It is going to be a place where we can bring people who enjoy the card game, both the LCG and the old CCG, together, as well as the RPG players, uh, to come together, interact with the community, meet some incredible desk, uh, guests, and have a great time. Me, myself, and my partners I have a lot of experience running events of this nature in the South Michigan area, uh, and we're pretty good at putting on a good show. Now, the only thing I need from the community is to come in, take out, uh, go to our website at www.rokucon.com. You can email us at info at Rokucon to get up to date and see all the guests and all the exciting uh, activities that we're going to have as I get the ink finalized on a lot of these things. I've had a lot of people that I've reached out to, and they all seem super excited to be involved in this. So as soon as I'm able to hit the go button and let people know what I have in store for everybody, uh, we're ready to uh, do this. But that's what we have so far. Okay, I mean, that seems like a pretty good start. I'm sure everyone will be excited to get more information about that. Um, yeah, I mean, a good sort of like overall community event is definitely fun. We can see Madrid sort of having one. It has less of an RPG focus, but it's definitely a, a community-organized uh, tournament for the community with plenty of extra stuff added in, and that seems to be going down quite well. So um, hopefully yours will be as successful and we'll get more information about oh, it later we've seen, we've seen events like this like we've seen some fan run tournaments we've seen some fan run organized rpg events i'm trying to bring all of these things in uh, under one umbrella for us all to come together as a community and if i've already got some really exciting things i'm just dying to announce as soon as i get things finalized of some groups and organizations who do various seminars demonstrations fashion shows larping events it's going to be really exciting but like I said, uh, my initial Kickstarter goal is $10,000. That is to cover just the initial base cost of getting the venue and giving some of my supplies in line. But the width and breadth of what I can do this event, everything that I can, all the activities, more guests, more vendor space, more activity space, uh, is going to depend on how successful this Kickstarter is. Yeah, so if this sounds like the sort of thing that you might be interested in, and you live in or near Michigan, wherever that is, <laughs> um, or close enough to go there for this sort of event, then um, you know maybe dance on over to that Kickstarter. Maybe give some of your good monies to uh, create a good event. You know, money buys power. Apparently, capitalism, baby. Yeah, uh, right now we're just signing up for the newsletter to keep up to date on uh, activities as I am bringing them live. So head over to www.rokucon.com, sign up for our newsletter, and stay up to date as things are announced. Now let's talk about official, actual FFG. These are what they're running. My event, 
unofficial. FFG is hands off on it, uh, but we're being sure to respect all their copyrights. Let's look at some actual. We've got Kotai's, we've got Grand Kotai's, and we have a slew of new Grand Championships as well. Yeah, so let's just run quickly through the calendar. It's a nice little update for those of you who haven't been following the dates. So first up, we have, of course, the Grand Kotai at Gen Con um, somewhere in America, uh, August the 4th to the uh, 1st to the 4th. Indianapolis. Um, <laughs> yes, Gen Con Indianapolis. India, I, I'm not going to know. <laughs> yes, try, um, try, is that, try Googling is, it. <laughs> is that in Indiana? No, it's not in India. Well, actually, you know what? Maybe it is. I you should know this. this. Uh, and then, of course, we have the Kotai in Sydney on the 10th and the 11th of August. Sydney, of course, is in Australia. Uh, I'm sure there's also a Sydney in America somewhere because they keep stealing all the names. But uh, this is definitely the Australian one. Uh, then we have the Grand Kotai in Krakow in Poland, August 23rd to 25th. It is also getting the prizes from Gen Con, which is a reminder of those um, excellent new um um, alt arts you can get for Koku, things like Miramoto Raitsugu, Tattooed Wanderer, Shun the Dragon examples. Um, yet unsure as to whether those prizes will be available at Kotai's held after this date. Um, there's been a bit of a hinting that they will be, but if you recall, there were some Gen Con only exclusive promos, so there is a bit of a question as to whether or not you will be able to get them later. So if you want to be on the safe side and you're a collector, maybe get your Koku together, get a good friend who's going to Poland or Gen Con uh, and get them to get those prizes for you. Uh, we're not sure of the cost yet, but we're thinking it'll be about two Koku a card. Is that, is that confirmed? But I'm pretty sure the company that thought it was okay to release the Elemental Championship prize kit twice in a row... It's going to have no problem redistributing some of these prizes. That's, that's just a hunch I have. Yes, but it's it's also the same company that gave out um, Imperial for Imperial Imperial favors and marauding Onis at one competition on the last day of Gen Con last year without telling anyone they would be there after everyone had already gone home. Yeah, they did, they did tell you about the, those uh, Marauding Onis, they, uh, and the, I think, believe the other one was the, uh, the Imperial Librarian. Those did end up on the prize wall at other events. I know they were specifically, they're available at Worlds. Yes. A bit later on. But anyway, um, we're hoping that they will reuse these. They've made them. They've got an art designer to do them. So clearly they have them on the in the, in the bank, as it were. So hopefully they'll get out. Uh, other Kotai's, which there aren't that many, but there are a few. Um, and then after Krakow, we have Toronto Grand Kotai on August the 23rd to the 25th. Um, and then we have, of course, quite shortly after, uh, the Grand Championship at the Nova Open uh, in Washington, D.C. Now, Trevor, uh, which is August 29th to the September the 2nd, which is the week after. Now, Trevor, you know your American geography a bit better than me. Those two events are quite close together geographically, aren't they? Close together. In, like, in America, I have a much broader sense. I'm looking at broad east coast kind of thing uh if you're someone who's willing to travel about three or four states away for uh uh kotai you're might be with like me in michigan i can easily strike to washington dc or i can go to toronto and stuff i need my little enhanced license to cross the canadian border and stuff but relatively in that zone that's uh kind of the same area so they're one they're kind of eating each other's lunch a little bit but I'm sure the local Toronto players and Washington players will be happy to have an event in their backyard. Uh, I know that Canada has struggled a bit with getting events in, so they're definitely going to be happy to have that event. Um, and maybe there'll be a lot of local players who make it down there um, to that event. The West Coast of America, 
uh, is still being left fairly high and dry with some of the events. So, you know, hashtag uh, Las Vegas Open. <laughs> Let's see if we can make that happen. But that's SARS back to, to promote on his. <laughs> and then, of course, back to Europe for September the 21st to 23rd for the Kotai Bologna Bye-bye. in Italy. Um, stop saying that. <laughs> it's not food. Any, anything's food maybe if you try hard enough. Bolog- Though I do think it is actually the home of Bolognese, which is basically the sauce made in Bologna. Um, Then we have a Grand Championship in France, October 4th to 6th. We have a Grand Championship in Madrid, where I will be, so come say hi if you see me, um, from October 5th to the 6th. And then we have the Grand Championship in Brazil from November 29th to December 1st. Now, I think this is quite monumental because Brazil haven't actually had any um, organised play events running for quite a long time. Um, so the fact they've got a grand championship coming down is quite good because I know that the Brazilian organizers were having a bit of a problem with their distributor getting prize kits in, uh, and we've I know that people in America have donated a lot of um, prize support to them, but it's good to see that they're actually getting an official event of their own, especially a grand championship, which is uh, just a really fun event I think for everyone who's going to go to. The Brazil event is really good as a as a huge demographic that's not been served very well. Uh, but I am a little bit concerned with some of these grand championships. Uh, many of these have only been announced just within the last week or so. And it, they kind of came out of nowhere. And they seem to be clogging each other up. As we were just talking about, we've mentioned before about the Nova Open as soon as that thing got announced. Uh, there's already a bit of a concern of how, at, like... The time frame it was announced because generally speaking, people here, especially here in America, we need a couple of months to prepare for the event and we didn't really know exactly what was going on. And there's con- concern that it was just a month away from Gen Con, Gen Con being one of the biggest events of the year. People who are spending all their time and money to go to Gen Con probably don't have enough liquid asset to also make it out to the Nova Open in Washington, D.C., unless you happen to be in that general area and can make that trip very quick. We're talking about the Nova Open again. Okay, we jump back a little bit. That's fine. It, it, these, those three events are quite close together in the north. Uh, Toronto, Grand Kotai, and the Nova Open. A couple of weeks ago, they announced the Grand Championship in Toronto, uh, which is going to happen on the August 23rd through 25th. That's one week before the Nova Open, and it's also announced a lot sooner to the event, and they said they tickets are going to stop being sold on august 9th so it's a much shorter way shorter notice in between these two areas and roughly in the same like i would put this thing in a a nice solid triangle of being roughly the same areas area and stuff if you're in like california and some sort of uh west part of america you have got like no real prayer of making it to any of these events unless you are wealthy enough to uh be able to afford a plane ticket to these things me i can just me and Max will just drive to all of these things. Actually, no, uh, I take that back. Me and Max would normally be willing to drive to one, uh, maybe two of these events we're trying to go to. We can't possibly make all three, and we are marks for this property. So it is. this is actually a thing of uh, uh, their target bases can't possibly make it to all of this stuff, and I think it's to the detriment of all these events. For the down and light in October, they just announced that we they have uh, grand championships in France and Madrid on the same weekend. Uh, and Finbar, this is more of your backyard, Bill being over there in Europe. France and Madrid, uh, or in Spain, they're very close to each other. So, And I would imagine that the folks who go to one would normally be the folks who would go to the other. How do you feel about that kind of split? Well, assuming the Grand Championship is in Paris, which is usually where it is, then yeah, they're about an hour's flight away. Um, 
so yeah, I mean, I think you would normally get a bit of a split. And I know Madrid has certainly attracted a lot of international players because it has extra prize support. So it is a bit weird that they're on the same weekend. But I think the thing to remember about the Grand Championships is that in general, they are meant to be locally focused events. They are supposed to replace, they are supposed to be regionals, essentially. So the fact that they conflict and they're mostly for people from that area is actually potentially not a bad problem, like from design wise, as in for what the event is supposed to be. Um, I think we are used to Kotai being a bit bigger and people going there, but I think there is actually a cap on who, how many people can go to a grand championship. And I think there is certainly a cap on price support. Um, with only the top 16 from each clan getting a participation prize. So I think the idea of them as more of a local event, and it doesn't matter as much if they clash, is actually probably something that's intentional rather than uh, a problem. Though I do know a lot of players who would happily go to both Madrid and Paris to to compete, because if you're living in one or the other, it's quite easy to get back and forth. Well, if you mention that these things are supposed to be the equivalent of a regional that leaves the question of what exactly is a elemental championship and what is the future of that price structure the elemental championships themselves were very popular when they started earlier this year but some other miscommunication on ffg side left to season two of the elemental championship having a massive drop off from what they were price support that uh for season two just got like it was just replaced by season one because they couldn't get what they wanted out in time. Uh, a lot of events that happened, they wait until like a couple of days before the first couple of elemental championships were announced to actually announce where and when these events were happening. And they told all these stores not to tell places that they were having it until FFG announced it. So the first weekend or two had no one showing up because they weren't allowed to promote their events at all. So that was its whole other series of problems. I don't think we're seeing a repeat here. I think we know very well in advance what the prizes are. We know what the tournament structure is. And we're starting to hear when and where they are. I know that Toronto was only announced with sort of a month's notice, which wasn't enough for a lot of people, even locals, to make sure they had the time free. Um, But like Madrid, for example, has been announced for about three months. Uh, France has been announced now. It's announced two or three months in advance. Uh, Brazil has announced five months in advance. I think we will see more announcements coming to next year. So I think there is going to be a good, there is good communication for these events. I think a lot of people are going to attend. I just think it's not necessarily an issue if they clash with the idea that they're supposed to be more for players from that region. They have size limits on who gets participation prizes, which means that it is sort of designed more as a local or regional style of event and then elemental championships is even more regional so you know i think this is a good thing i think they look really exciting i think i'm glad to go to at least one i don't think i would go to more than one anyway if maybe if they were scheduled i don't know i certainly wouldn't go to like i would go to like one in london i would go to one in spain maybe i don't think i'd travel all over europe for them well, I do know Fantasy Flight has new organized play management, and these people, yes. uh, these individuals are uh, making strides to revamp the entirety of FFG's uh, organized play structure, their events, and what's going on here. So this is still kind of a in-between growing pains time for it and stuff. Hopefully, uh, this stuff will all coagulate into something more comprehensive in the future and stuff. So right now, it's like we have a few pockets of places who are sp- Boiled for choice at a few people uh, places that are like completely left it up to wind. So we'll see how it all works out. Yeah, for sure. 
Um, so that's events. The only other event really that's been going on recently is the Discord World Cup, which has now finished its uh, Swiss series. Has America uh, won yet? America won, no. didn't it? No? America did make the cut. So currently we have Spain on 5-0. Uh, we have Greece on 4-1, France on 4-1, the USA on 4-1, Hungapore on 3-2, Canada on 3-2, Brazil 3-2, Philippines, Switzerland, England and Australia also on 3-2. So those are the 11 teams that are going through into the cut. The top five teams will get a bye. So that's Spain Greece, France, USA, and Hungapore. The bottom teams, including me, uh, will have to play into the top eight. So um, the submission date for new decks is on the 4th of August. You are allowed to change your deck. Um, it will be pack two legal. Um, so expected to start after August the 4th. Expect a lot of hard, hard-hitting games with uh, pack two of the new cycle. Um, and I will be playing Dragon. So who knows if it will be any good <laughs> so the decks that come out come out of gen con might be the decks that kind of like lead to, uh, or influence what's going to go into these world cups because uh once gen con is wrapped up we've got a, the next major event is either toronto or the nova open um depending on what's on your calendar so and that's going to be pack three legal so uh it is this is exactly what they want to do they wanted to have a shifting rotating meta where no one's like completely settled in there i was just doing testing earlier today uh where someone made a comment and now it's caused me to think about if i want to drastically change the deck and um my game plan for gen con and i don't know which ones to do because uh testing and finding quality opponents to really suss out what's going to go for it, it's on a time frame and plus i'm trying to build it i'm trying to build a convention so how much time do i dedicate to games <laughs> never never change it last minute it's, it's always a bad idea that's what i'm saying you've got to stick to your stick to stick to what you've tested it's always good unless of course you're making a meta call in which case you have to do that sort of last minute Anyway, it will be interesting to see what comes out. Sort of first proper tournament of the Pac-2 meta um, with some of the best players in the world sort of playing off against each other for national pride, which always makes people play harder. Um, and yeah, we'll just see where it goes. And of course, there's lots of commentary interest as well in the Discord World Cup, and there's lots of people streaming it, which means that things will get kind of spicy. I mean, that's it really for things that have been happening so let's see uh the only other thing of course that's really in the news are the new floor rules that have come out which we're all very excited about floor rules and i i, I tell you what i was surprised to find out that ffg did not have floor rules i honestly in my own ignorance did you not know they had okay i could have sworn it was part of like so ffg has a weird website and it's got like 30 tabs on every page and the thing you're trying to look for is not very easy to find and i honestly thought that the floor rules the ffg just kind of had standard was on some sort of tab that i was never able to quite find and hunt down and it wasn't really much of an issue but but we've had like the rumors of we'd go to a tournament one of the big ones was at gen con last year ironically where people are saying oh jeff ffg has this policy that they don't like this kind of behavior they don't like this kind of behavior and it's like 
what are you guys referencing? I don't know. It's not in the rules. It's not in the tournament structure rules. It's not in the game rules. Uh, but everyone's very convinced that FFG has these quote unquote policies that just never manifested itself. So I just thought I was just missing something. I was wrong. They didn't have As far it. as I understood <laughs> it, there were some guidelines for judges as to what would qualify like a DQ. And there were like guidelines in the player guide for Alphavar that told you like how to resolve something that went wrong or a mismandatory trigger and that sort of thing. But what they were missing what these floor rules provide which is vital is an overarching system for all of their games where basically there is a penalty somewhere between a dq a game loss and and you know just not doing anything right which lets you give someone one point and also just lets you track how their how their points add up you know are they making the same mistake and remember the most interesting thing about these floor rules is that if you get over three points in any tournament the judge is allowed to report your name to ffg for tracking in future events and if you get three points in multiple tournaments you're constantly seen to be causing problems or not spending your fate properly or doing all these sorts of things then you can be addressed in a way that actually helps fix the problem like do you need to be sat down and have a proper conversation about how to play the rules and told to get your gameplay to be less sloppy? Or do you just need to be banned from tournaments because you can't be trusted not to misplay cards or not to cheat? You know, and the fact is that it is good to be able to give someone one point as a punishment for something that isn't serious, right? And to give someone seven points if they just need to be kicked out of the competition. I mean, the flexibility is important. It is seven points to actually be disqualified from an event. And a lot of it is just like sometimes mistakes just happen. And it's trying to run a very fine line of this is we know, we're people. We make mistakes. There's social interactions. Uh, there's levels of understanding. And some things are some things are just not clear. And some things are just honest mistakes. I did a tournament one time where I just completely wrote a one instead of a two on some card one time. And a judge had to come over to me and point out to me that I had a, a deck list error and stuff. I wasn't trying to, you know, I wasn't getting any sort of advantage. It was just a typo that I had did. Um, you know, these things happen. But it's good to have a formalized – on one hand, it's good to have a formalized system – to handle these things. Uh, then we also have issues where, like, in the attempt to curb the worst near-dwells that might show up to an organization, you end up uh, taking penalties on things that would be normally kind of like standard interactions. I think the big brouhaha, or the thing that has been gotten most of the time, is... Uh, FFG's philosophy of collusion and what is considered collusion and what is considered cheating. Uh, have you read anything about this one yet, Finbar? Yeah, yeah. So I've I've been reading through that, and you know I think it is fair to say that anytime you have a negotiation with your opponent, where you offer them prizes or money or anything in exchange for a win, is just a bit out of the question. It is a bit tricky because you know we've seen in other games where if you like if you have these rules and like people can't agree to like intentionally draw or concede a game or something like that, that it benefits people who have more friends in in the scene because if you and your mate sit down neither of you is going to report the other one for collusion right i'm just going to say to you if i can see to you then we both get through to the cut you're going to be like cool let's play the game but then i'll win it right and because we know each other it's really easy but 
then you've got people who maybe don't know as many people or aren't as social or just come to tournaments and don't, you know, to, for the, to play the game and, you know, don't really get involved in the social scene that much, who are instantly at a disadvantage because if they say these sorts of things to someone who's more of a rule stickler, then they could actually just get dropped out of the tournament. So it is a bit tricky what you because you have to have rules against collusion because you don't necessarily want collusion um and you don't want you know you don't want the you don't want the pressure put on someone who is worried that they might not win and really wants a promo and someone says well actually if you just concede to me i'll give you the promo you want that person to play the game or you don't want someone to drop in with a hundred quid and be like well look if i give you this hundred pounds you know will you concede to me you never want that to be okay either but equally you have to acknowledge that people are doing this and in some cases it's just going to happen and the question is if you ban it does it mean that it just favors people who know enough people to make it happen there's a lot of interactions on here where just fairly like and it is like quote-unquote collusion uh by definition but it's just very normal human interactions too because there are extenuating certain like these games do not exist into a vacuum we all have our own personal like things going in there uh to know of l5r specifically we used to have things like bounties and story decisions and stuff and this were actually was a highlight of the l5r experience of uh, maybe you don't want to win or maybe you want to play something differently because of the meta results of what would happen if you win or lose and stuff. The very fact that we ha- still have, well, theoretically sometimes have, story prizes based on game results uh, kind of dictates to there is more to the game than just the game. At the Kikumatsuri, in my, me, myself, I was in a round and I actually lost the round and my opponent said, hey, listen, uh, I actually cannot participate any further today, so I'm just going to give you the win uh, if you just want to give me the uh, the card for winning and stuff. So I am 100% guilty of collusion because we did that, but it was also like something that worked to the both of us and we were, came away very good at that, you know? And there, there are these human moments where, you know, your opponent knew that he couldn't play any more in the competition. He had to go away. So him taking the win off you in that round when he was just about to leave is the correct play. But equally, him giving you the win when he knows he's not playing anymore is also, I think most people would be fine with that. The fact that, but I think it's interesting that he waited until after the game. I think that's the main thing. Um, Because you played the game, you lost, and then he said, actually, you know, what if? I think if he had said it before that it would have been a bit more problematic, right? I, I got the sense that he, when he sat down, he just kind of wanted to see how the match w- would go and how he just wanted to play the game. And, you know, he wanted to play a game that wasn't, like, ironically, he wanted to play the game without, like, the quote-unquote integrity of the rules being compromised, which is what this floor was supposed to do. He wanted to just sit down to the game. If he loses, great, then he could just, like, drop out, bow out, and go do whatever he had to do that day and stuff. It was only an issue if he happened to win, and he happened to win that game. See, I think in that sort of situation, I would lead to just it being all right, because you've played the game, the result didn't come out the way you thought it would, and the person genuinely didn't want to play anymore. So him saying, well, look, realistically, I'm going to take this prize, but you could have the win. You know, he, he he's he's offering you the win on his own terms. It's like if I walk into a match and I say, to be honest, I'm already in the cut, I'll just concede to you so you can get in. If I'm not doing it at your prompting, if I'm offering you a win based on my own decision because I don't want to play anymore, then that's not collusion. That's me making a decision to concede. 
if I ask you to give me something to get that, then it is collusion. But if I'm going to do it anyway, and then I say, but actually, I, I still want that card. Do you mind giving it to me? After I've already conceded, then again, not collusion, because you're not giving me a prize to concede. I'm conceding, and then I'm saying, well, actually, you know, now that I've conceded, would you mind if I have that? Like, there is a lot of grey areas, a lot of nuance. And I think one of the things that a lot of people are getting worked up over is that this is a generic floor rules for every single game that FFG plays, right? That's important to remember. And every game that FFG plays has different rules for how to resolve t conflicts, you know, draws, um, time, that sort of thing. So there was a big debate, I don't know if you saw it on Facebook, about the, this one line in the RRG, which says that asking your opponent to concede in any shape or form um, falls under collusion and is grounds for disqualification, right? So that's some that's some very vague uh, wording right there, because if we're sitting and we're running near the end of time and I've got the, the game done and we're just, and I'm like my opponent's looking at his cards, he's looking at the board state and he's trying to come up with a way to finish it. And I'm just like, friend, I understand you're trying to win this and stuff, but honestly, we're out of time and you're we're pushing it to uh, going into a mod loss situation because you're not making up your mind. Would you mind conceding right now? You know that I would say that that could that can on one hand be considered uh, collusion. On one hand, it could, it could be considered a site of so slow play on my opponent. Both are well, technically no, accurate in that I'll, scenario. I'll disagree with that. As long as he's not taking too long between his decisions, it's technically not slow play. It's one of these problems, right? Because technically, you you think it was slow play because he's deliberately playing slower to try and make you get a mod loss, which is really bad form. But actually, if he's not taking too long to make decisions based on cards he has, then is it really slow play? Well, hold on. Let's put a caveat on that, because this uh, floor rule also uh, puts down uh, its outline of what it considers slow play, and it just all it really says is are you taking a reasonable amount of time to play an action? Um, now there are people, and it says like there is something like you're, maybe you're just taking too long, which is a minor infraction versus to you are actively trying to stall out to run the clock, which is considered a form of cheating, but they never actually outlined what is a quote unquote reasonable amount of play. I mean, uh, we're fairly good at this game, so we can actually, I'll go through the rounds and I can like, uh, sit here and I'll play cards left, right, and, you know, go back and forth. And I've got my game plan pretty down. It'll take me about like less than 10 seconds at that to do most of my action stuff. But occasionally you have to sit down. You have to literally put your cards down on the table and just stare at the game state and make some decisions right now. And that can actually take a couple of minutes sometimes, you know? Uh, and if, if, if you're doing that every single round, obviously that's slow play and you shouldn't be, you know, every decision is not like, you know, the end of the world. But my rough guideline, right, for time wasting is about, is someone gets about 45 seconds to a minute at the start of the conflict phase. I'll give someone a bit of leeway if something massive happens, like a character gets killed or something. But typically, after that initial sort of planning what they're doing, people are going to get about 10 or 15 seconds per decision where I'm like, you should know what your lines of play are. 
because you've looked at your cards. And if nothing major has changed, then your lines of play remain the same. You know you have court games in hand. You know you have for shame. You know we're in a political conflict. And in Alpha Var, remember, there's only really, usually in your hand, two or three cards that can be played in a specific type of conflict or at a specific time. So you should know what they are. And sometimes you have hard decisions and you need to stop and think, and that's fine. And we can usually recognize those. But you can also recognize when someone is taking 30, 40 seconds per decision and just be like, they are definitely slow playing. I think it's important if you reach a position where you are winning a game and your opponent is playing slowly to try and run down the timer for a mod loss, I think it is perfectly acceptable to call a judge and just have them sit there and say, look, I think I've won this game. I think my opponent is playing a bit slowly to try and push it towards a mod loss because for whatever reason. Uh, the, the floor rules mentioned that if you feel like your opponent is playing slow, uh, slowly, just give them a quick... Uh, please, sorry, I need you to play a little bit more quickly, or ma'am, if it's female. Um, and then once that's happened a couple of times, uh, then you bring the judge over and stuff. So, so, but like, there are, like, I will say one of my favorite all time memories in L5R was a slow play situation because it was not slow play. We're taking too long. Uh, we're trying to run out the clock. It was, we need to sit down and we need to think about this one. It was during the old L5R. I'm a crane dueling, of course, and I was up against a dragon duelist deck. So you'd appreciate this one. And you know how dueling would go. It is a lot of time. It is a, the first one to strike and do it poorly. The deck will collapse. And we literally got into a situation where we sat, we both sat, we put our, our hands down and we stared at the board and we thought at each other for a solid 15 minutes. I'm not even exaggerating until finally, uh, uh, until, until finally he looks up to me and he says, do you have this card? And I say, yes. And he just extends his hand like I. <laughs> Because we were both, it is actually like the ideal of like what a quote unquote duelist would do is we went through all the scenarios and he just went like, if he's got this card, the entire chain of effects falls apart and he wins, you know? Yeah, but I, I think we all recognize those situations where your opponent just has to think a bit more. Mm -hmm. But I think giving your opponent reminders, I think if you are in danger of getting a mod win when you don't think that when you think the game is wrapped up and you think that, then just call a judge because a judge in that situation. You know, what do you do in that situation if you're a judge? I'd probably give them an extra two minutes before a mod win gets called. Yeah. Like, you know, because a judge doesn't have to give you a mod win just because you've hit mm. time. If the judge looks at the board and says this guy has won and his opponent just won't concede, then as a judge, you can just be like, when the slip's going in, just be like, this isn't actually a mod win. This is a full win. Like, there's there's so many ways to fix it, Right. To be noted that the uh, the game also the first thing it does is it highlights the role of a judge and also of a head judge and it, it makes it clear that it like whatever penalties or warnings that happen or get canceled or whatever it is ultimately up to the judges and the judge especially the head judge has is within the parameters to go outside the letter of the law of what happens on here. Yeah, because these are these are these are rules made, but they they deal with human moments. There's going to be mistakes made when the the judge knows the person only makes has made a mistake, like or when everyone saw the mistake and it just got fixed, and it it doesn't need to be a warning because everyone's fixed it and everyone's happy. The main thing, of course, in any of these games is that both you and your opponent are happy with a resolution, right? You do something wrong, you say, "Hey, can I just fix it?" Your opponent's like, "Yeah, yeah, okay, cool." And it's only when things go wrong and you don't agree, you need to get a judge involved and say, hey, this has happened, how do we fix it, right? 
So to return, so tight, slow play is one thing you're just going to have to deal with um, and to call a judge when you need to, remind your opponent to play a bit faster. I think when it comes to this collusion to get conceded, I, I think we have to remember that these are rules written for every single game that FFG has. Every other, Every game has specific rules. Remember, there is a mandatory step at the end of time in L5R that you, as the first player, has the first opportunity to concede. The second player then has an opportunity to concede, right? If you ask your opponent at time if they are going to concede and your opponent says, you can't do that, it's against the floor rules, I'm going to DQ you, call a judge and say, I'm sorry, judge. I was asking my opponent or reminding him of his mandatory option to concede. That's it, right? Our game is written in such a way that when you reach time, both players have an opportunity to concede. You are not wrong if you ask your opponent if he wants to take his opportunity to concede. You are not offering him anything to do it. You know, you don't have to reference the board state. Though you could be like, I think I've got this. You know, do you agree? Are you happy to concede? Like, none of those things are wrong. They are just how we wrap up the game when it hits time. Um, I if it, let's put it this way: if I see a single judge DQ someone for asking someone at time whether or not they want to concede, as uh, I'll put a caveat there: if it's done in like a normal and reasonable fashion, some people can get a bit aggressive. If you're like, I've definitely won this, you need to concede, you know, and you start arguing with someone about how they need to concede, and you start being you know just rude about it, then yeah, you should just get DQ'd for not being not being polite, you know, but. And, to be, and just, to be clear, a player cannot DQ someone else. It has to be the call of a judge to DQ you and stuff. And they're using and they're and they're using these rules as a as a floor thing. So that is also to prevent the idea of angle shooting some of these rules because they're like kind of like squishy rules to deal to have provide a framework to deal with social interactions. Yeah. So I you someone has the idea of like going like oh you've made a minor gameplay error I'm going to call a judge and ha- demand that you get uh two points onto your score for making this minor gameplay error that's not going to fly and a matter of fact you'd probably get uh penalized for unsportsmanlike behavior and stuff so yeah exactly uh, i would advise anyone not to hold this as hard hard rules but like guidelines that we have not had in place before exactly play play your game play it honestly try and get everything right if something goes wrong try and fix it without a judge if you can't or just call a judge and the judge will help you sort it out right but don't don't worry about people picking you up on specific i mean people will do it like if you miss a reaction window you know, you should have shouldn't have missed the reaction window, right? Some people are going to let you take it back; they don't have to. That's all right. But if you're worried that because you know you took an extra fate and you immediately saw it and you put it back, and your judge is going to be like, "Oh no, this person gets two or three points," you know, don't worry about that. If you don't do it all that often, you know, the judge is going to the judges have leeway. You know, we've met all the judges who run these sorts of events. They're they're quite sensible people. This is it's a good thing that we have this. It's a good thing to have a guideline of how the proper way to approach certain situations are. And uh this is ultimately a boon for this uh for the community. Um will there be issues? I think if you know, if a player has an uh a, a disagreement with a situation that has happened and they get either penalized or they think their opponent got penalized too lightly, I'm sure that's gonna come up, but this is like having this in place is much better than the wild, wild west we've been living in before. Yeah, exactly. Um, I am very enthusiastic that we have them. Um, I think any of the problems are going to smooth themselves out.
All right, Finn Bar, I think it's time for us to wrap up. Let's give a big old shout out uh, to our sister podcast, the Court Games RPG Podcast, hosted by uh, Kaori and Kovar. Uh, they do good work, and they're going to be talking about the uh, recent fiction that just got announced uh, last week, uh, considering the fallout of the the ongoing Inheritance Style storyline. Looking forward to that one. And also, if you are considering getting into the FFG RPG, remember that they also did a review on the 22nd of July, um, which was looking at the new Courts of Stone book that looks at the Crane Clan as well as Great Castles um, in Rokugan. So, you know, if you're interested in castles beyond, you know, just Japanese history, uh, please feel free to dive into that and hear a bit of what they have to say. As well as, of course, the new Deer Clan who may show up in the... Uh, uh, LCG at some point, uh, the Sheikah. The Deer Kind, everybody's favorite new addition to L5R. <laughs> Uh, the RPG class also has a interview coming up with, so keep an eye on, keep a lookout for that one. They have uh, some special guests that they're going to be bringing in to talk more about the story and lore of the game. Uh, and how do you hear all that? You find us on uh, iTunes, Google Play, all the places where podcasts are uh, found. Please yep, like Spotify us, Spotify as well. Subscribe us. We give us great. a five star review. It really helps us get our message around. It helps. Us as a podcast, get our names out there. It also helps L5R as a overall community uh, get more into the zeitgeist of the uh, gaming uh, sphere out there. Uh, you can find us on Twitter. You can find uh, Court Games and uh, out there on Twitter, uh, as well as me and Seabass individually. I don't see Finbar on Twitter because he doesn't know how computers work. I only use Twitter for work, and I do not tend to do that much gaming stuff on Twitter. Um so I keep I keep you or you lovely people off my Twitter uh, for specific reasons. Um, <laughs> it's not that you're not nice, but you also don't know anything about telecoms. So yeah, that's all right. Uh, also, of course, a reminder about our Patreon, uh, which helps support the podcast, uh, the Port Games website, which is under development, uh, as well as sort of various other projects that are ongoing. If you join the Patreon, you can get access to premium content from us, which is, you know, various discussions that happen off the official uh, agenda, as it was. Um, you also gain access to a monthly giveaway, um, which is either LCG-themed or Fans of the East-themed, um, and you can choose from a few different options. So, for example, for July, uh, you can get choose a K-pop or K-snack box. You can choose a red Chinese chop stone, which can come engraved with your specific name either in english or in chinese or katakana uh which is a japanese language uh japanese alphabet yeah it's a japanese uh, or, writing uh style. yes i know Hir hiragana katakana kanji and romana yes and um you or you could choose a classic set of books the art of war by sun tzu hakakuri by yamamoto tsunimoto Sunetomo, uh, or the Book of Five Rings uh, by Miyamoto Musashi, which of course is one of the things that inspired uh, Legend of the Five Rings itself. Um, so that is given out randomly every month to Patreons who enter. So that is something else. It's a pretty good podcast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we are. We are a pretty good. Yeah, podcast. yes, we are. We are a good <laughs> podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that'll wrap us up for this week. I've been Trevor Cuba, aka Kikito Odimaru. And I have been Agasha Steelfer, a.k.a. Finbar. Though my Agasha may be dying soon in the RPG, so I may have to change my name. We will uh, see. <laughs> anyway, thank you all for listening, and we'll talk to you in a few weeks' time. Sidearm, everyone. And see you at Gen Con!